get your brain started this morning uh, on these questions. I know this map is nothing new. This wheel uh, has been on the back wall for a while. If you don't have a handout, there's some gentlemen in the back if you want one. Uh, if you don't have a handout, there's somebody back there that can hook you up and just raise your hand. Maybe you got a green one. Uh, but these, these questions, these three questions. What was Jesus like? What did Jesus do? And how did Jesus spend his time? We're going to come back to that. But what was Jesus like? What did Jesus do? And how did Jesus spend his time? I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to do something today. I'm going to try to not use the word church while I'm preaching. I'm going to try to use gathering or what's going to here. I love that when President Bush was in office, um, no matter how you voted for him, it was fun to hear speak because he said new words constantly. <laughs> um, you know, you get yourself like strategically. Uh, and it, hey, I'm not knocking on the guy. I just, you know, it's one of those deals. Um, sometimes my kids will say something, and I'll be like, that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> you know? You ever had that moment with your kids? Or, or maybe a coworker? Or, or a boss? Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean what you think it means. I think, um, I think we've done that with the church. Um, we say things like, I'm going to go to church this morning. Uh, to church. Like it's a, a location. It is. It's, where is church? 4298 Armory Road. Not really. That's where we're at today. Um, on Wednesday nights, once a month, church is at Faith Refuge. And the church goes there. We're the body. The church is the body. We say things like, I don't feel like going to church today. Oh, sorry, believer. You are the church. So you're just staying home. That's all it is. All right? Uh, I mean, I'm bringing just a little bit, but I'm sorry. Um, if it's my place, then tell me I'll move it. I'm that informal. Okay. Um, I think we've done the same thing with discipleship, by and large. Now, I want to say, I want to get away from we and use the word I. I think I've done that with discipleship for most of my life. I thought that discipleship was me teaching a class or me teaching a series or me teaching, being involved in a program. And the truth is, that's not what discipleship is. Right. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir today because thankfully, we have a pastor who spent the last almost two years preaching and teaching about discipleship. Uh, I'm going to get to this in a little bit, why this is so important, why this is really so rare. But guys, our pastor, one Sunday morning, came, and I don't know if you remember, but he apologized to us as church members for not handling the word discipleship correctly, and for not doing discipleship as a church correctly. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at discipleship. And I want, to, I want to take it a step further. I want to share with you my story today. You know, I want to share with you what it's looked like in my life. How I've mishandled it. How I've not been where I should be. Uh, and so I want, to, I want to talk with you today um, about discipleship. Jesus gave a pretty clear command in Scripture what the, the church I just said church. I can't do it. Well, we, the body of Christ, where do we go? Hey, it's a silly thing, but guys, really, it's, it's, it's a rewiring of our brain. Really, I mean, think about it. If I view the church as this location in this building, and I miss four or five meetings a week, it's no big deal. Somebody else is there. 
But what if I view the church as me and it's my personal responsibility to do what God has shown me in His Word? Now all of a sudden there's some accountability here. Now all of a sudden it's not pastor's job to win the lost, it's my job to win the lost. Now it's not pastor's job to disciple the people that I win, it's my responsibility to do that. Guys, it's, it's, it's more than just a word. And so is discipleship. And in, in Scripture, Jesus gave a clear command to those that were gathered. A clear command to his church. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Now, King James is the one that uses teach there. Most of the other verses I looked at, they use the word make disciples. The reason in Greek it is mathetao, and the verb is mathetos, and you don't care about that, but what it means is make disciples. Okay? The word teach there means make disciples. So it's a real clear-cut command. Go make disciples. You know, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Let's go back to our questions real quick. Jesus like what did Jesus do? How did Jesus spend his time? One thing that I really, a lot of my life, didn't know because I wasn't the student of the Word of God that I should have been, I thought there was just 12 disciples. God left this earth, and he left the gospel in the hands of 12 people? Wow. No, there was more than that. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. We find that in Scripture. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, also whom he named apostles. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, And the number of names together were about a hundred and and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jesus, in, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. He, there was more than 12 disciples. He had people gathered. About the time that he left in Acts, there's about 120 people that are charged with the taking of the gospel to the world. These disciples, they weren't called Christians right then. They weren't called Christians until uh, they, they were at a, a local gathering or a church in Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. When they found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's important to me. I feel like God wanted me to share it with you today because they didn't name themselves. Other people named them. Other people were able. Other people were able to see whose life they were mimicking and say, "Hey, you're a little Christ." That's what a Christian means. If you go out in our community or out in, in public at Walmart or the mall, um, and you talk to people about God, almost everybody's a Christian. Have you encountered that? Everybody's a Christian. Yeah. When you dig a little deeper, maybe that doesn't mean what they think it means. The problem? Yep. You see, we have self-identified ourselves as Christians, whether we are like Christ or not. I have self-identified myself sometimes as Christian, whether I am like Christ 
But the truth is, it's other people who are supposed to see, hey, that's a little Christ. Hey, that guy's like Christ. Hey, that lady's like Christ. That's important when it comes to defining what discipleship is. Why? Because what was Jesus like? What did Jesus do? How did Jesus spend his time? Because the truth of it is, whether you're defining discipleship with a dictionary or you're looking to the scriptures for a more practical definition, there's a difference in being a Christian and being a disciple. There is. And the dictionary is real simple. Webster's doesn't say this anymore, but he used to say a disciplined learner. I guess the, I guess the definition changed. You know, now if you go to Webster's and look at it, it's somebody who's like the, a person who's pushing the cause of per se Christianity or per se Islam. But the word in its etymology literally means a disciplined learner. A disciplined learner. Is it possible to be a Christian, somebody who's given their life to Christ, but not be a disciplined learner in the Word of God? You don't have to answer that because I'm going to share with you my story. I'm going to tell you it's very possible. It's very possible to have given your life to Christ, but not be a disciple. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the definition of what it is to be a disciple from Scripture. I know this is more teaching than preaching. Bear with me. If you're going to sleep, ask your neighbor. Look, friend, look at your neighbor and say, if I doze off, slap me. Okay? Go ahead and look beside you. If I doze off, slap me. Okay? All right. The definition of a disciple from Scripture. In Matthew 4.19, and he said to them, then follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the definition that we get of a disciple from Scripture is one who is committed to following Jesus. Committed to following Jesus. We sing, you know why we sing the song? Many of you may not like the fact in our invitation that we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus like every other time. You know why? It's very on purpose why I do that. Because I just want it to be like clockwork what you're doing with God. I don't want you caring about what we're saying. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's the message of any and every invitation we should ever have. Because that's what I want to do. Somebody who's a disciple of Christ, not just a Christian, not just hell insurance, but somebody who is a, a disciple of Christ is someone who is intent, and, and they, are, they are committed to following Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, 23, if, anything, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and come and follow me. As a disciple is one who is committed to following Jesus. A disciple is one who is committed to being changed by Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with our pastor, but only semantically. Is that okay with you? <laughs> he says things like, and it's true, because there are people who literally, when you, when you talk about eternal security, which is what I, I, I believe the Bible teaches, that once saved, always saved. The, the most, uh, I guess the biggest comeback to that is, well, then you believe you can get saved and do whatever you want to. And pastor has told us no, and I would say yes, but it's just semantics. I believe you can get saved and do whatever you want to. And I believe I have Bible to back it up. Because God changes your life. Right? You come in contact with Jesus and you can't stay the same. Now it may not be a process. We saw a kid get saved at camp this year. It was like, it was literally like this. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It was amazing, the transformation. And that happens, guys, but it doesn't happen for everybody. Again, I'm going to tell you my story. Sometimes 
Your Christianity is a slow burn. Sometimes it. Sometimes our pride holds us back from being what God wants us to do. Sometimes ourself gets in the way of that change that God's wanting us to make. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 17 that therefore, if any man be a new creature, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. A disciple is someone who is committed to being changed by Jesus. My dad is uh, almost, he's getting close to 70. I really don't know. I'm a bad son. Uh, but he's getting close to 70. Every year I tell him, happy birthday. I have no idea how old you are. Um, he doesn't know how old I am, so it's fair. <laughs> but my dad is a Baptist pastor. My grandpa was a Baptist pastor. My grandpa's grandpa was a Baptist pastor. My dad says that God's going to keep calling us hairs to preach until somebody gets it right. <laughs> I've seen my dad of almost 70 change his philosophy about things that he realized were just preferences and not convictions. The difference is preferences are like whims. They're just your preference. Is it cold in here anybody this morning? Guess what? Next week it may be hot. It's just your preference. It's just your preference. It's just how you feel. It's absolutely true for you right now. It's not anything you're willing to die for. A conviction is something you stand upon. And you don't let anybody knock you off. I've seen my dad. It's so cool. I've seen my dad almost 70 years old as a pastor his whole life. And I've seen his ministry follow God. There's no better way to put it. I started to say change, but in reality, he's followed God. He's realized, hey, you know what? I used to beat drums that aren't worth beating anymore. They were preferences. In this wheel here, uh, one of the, that's one of the, there's a more in-depth wheel, and that's one of the things that, that is on here as far as our growth in Christ is we realize that, hey, not all change is bad. Because it's who we are as disciples. It's one who is committed to being changed by Jesus. The last thing on this point is it's one who's committed to being on mission with Jesus. It's one who's committed to being on mission with Jesus. There's a lot of good professions in here. I know what some of you do. There's a lot of good professions. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. Represented all throughout our community. Upstanding people. But what if you're doing something that God doesn't want you to do? What if you're living out a life not intended for you by our God? You only get one. You only get one life. As a disciple, somebody who wants to be on mission who wakes up every day and says, you know what, this is what I have at work. God, speak to me. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do where you've put me, where you've called me? I'm not saying everybody in mass quit your jobs tomorrow, <laughs> unless God calls you to. He doesn't. <laughs> I'm just telling you that a disciple is one who's committed to being on a mission with Jesus. He laid it out very simply to us as individuals. Go make Disciples. It's not a pastor's job. It's not a staff's job. It's 
not even a collective gathering that you call Anchor Baptist Church's job. As a whole, it's my job, and it's your job. It's all of our jobs. We're committed to be on a mission with Jesus Christ. We're not going to stand before God one day in heaven and, and God be like, okay, tell me why your pastor didn't fulfill the Great Commission better. No! The Bible says so that every one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. As a disciple is somebody who wants to be on mission with Jesus. What does Jesus want from my life? Hey, I got this is very logical, very simple. And I say this because this has taken me too long to figure out. You don't know if you don't ask. You can't know unless you ask God. Have you ever have you ever been close to God and looked out amongst the world that you're in and thought, is anybody asking God what we're doing? I mean, you feel like Elijah, because here in a minute, God's going to be like, thousands. Yeah. But guys, sometimes it's, we don't know what God wants us to do unless we ask him. But as disciples, part of what we are, part of who we are, part of what defines us, is that we are committed to being on mission with Jesus. Second thing, the definition of discipleship from Scripture. Definition of discipleship. From scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Let's go with what we know. Make a right church. The old uh, 1970s, I believe, question. What kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? That's literally what Paul is saying there. He's, do you understand? He's telling they oh, <laughs> I love my children. I have 35 of them. <laughs> At no point in any of their five lives have I taken any one of them from the hospital driven straight to a fire station or that's a bad example but <laughs> or straight to like a mall kiosk and be like hey here's your profession you're going to sell phone covers uh, I don't have high expectations of you <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that have, have, never have I you know Steve works at Wichita College he's my brother-in-law I can pick on him from a public place because I have a microphone <laughs> maybe he wants his sons to follow in his footsteps and so man when they were born he put them in the car seat and he took them to Wichita Clutch and he sat them in front of a press for some machine I don't even know what you do he sat in front of a machine or a clutch and said hey man get involved get involved that's ludicrous that's ludicrous but do you understand? That's why Paul said, be followers of me, even as I follow Christ. He was talking to baby Christians. And yet how many times have we had baby Christians in our life that we've seen God work on them, work on them, and they give their life to him, and then we're like, see a church? We don't use the word correctly. We don't use the definition correctly. The first thing out of our mouth is the incorrect definition of what God is doing here at 4298 Armory Road. We say, see it, church. Come to church. What, I'm a new believer. What do I need to do? Go to church. We just set them in front of a machine and say, get involved. Guys, it's, it's more than that. 
The definition of disciple, again, what was Jesus like? What did Jesus do? And how did Jesus spend his time? Because the definition of discipleship from Scripture is that it is a process of developing people towards Christ-likeness. That's what Matthew 28 and verse 20 is about. Teaching them to observe all things. What sort of I commanded you? Teaching them to observe all things. The first part of the Great Commission is go make disciples. In other words, you've got to evangelize. You have to. You can't make a disciple without evangelism. You can't. But it doesn't end there. It can't end there. It's a process for developing people towards Christ's likeness. Second, it's a transfer of lifestyle, not just a transfer of information. Why do my kids play instruments? Because God gave us five, and I figured out real early that's enough for a band. <laughs> they play instruments because Teresa and I have transferred our lives We've made sure they could do those things. I'm pretty sure when, when, when Michael bought Marty's sweet shop, they weren't like, hey man, we're glad to have you here in the bakery. Here's some flour and an egg, and we're going on vacation. <laughs> no, it takes time. It takes it's that transfer of lifestyle. What do we do with our children? We transfer our lives to them. What did Paul say to Timothy about his mother and his grandmother? As they transferred their life to you, is what the scripture says in that place. They, they shared with you. They, they gave you themselves. Paul has a great verse on this um, that we'll get to in just a minute, but, but it's a transfer of lifestyle. And the last, we demonstrate the life of Christ so that they might imitate us. Have you ever been in the car and you somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're good, you're like, but your kid goes, jerk! <laughs> I've been in the car, and it was embarrassing for my wife. <laughs> Obviously, y'all know the source there. But that happens. It happens because it's an intent. Hey, guys, here's the thing. Because it's a process of developing someone to Christ's likeness. How are they going to see it? Is it just a transfer of information? I hope not. Because it's a transfer of lifestyle. And how do we do that? We do that by demonstrating the life of Christ for them. So I ask you again the question. What kind of church would our church be if every member was just like me? Guys, discipleship, being on mission with Jesus, doing what he's called us to do. How do we know? What was Jesus like? What did he do? And how did he spend his time? The importance of discipleship is that it's it's Jesus' mission, so it should be our mission. It's, it's that simple. When we give our lives to Christ, we do just that. Hopefully, we give our lives to Christ. So, what are we be to be about? He wants us to do. We're, we're to follow the mission of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus is discipleship. The mission of Jesus is discipleship. I've spent so much time, I turned 40 soon, 
I know to some of you that's young, to some of you that's ancient, to me, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but here's the deal, my life by statistics is over half over. And I've spent so much of my time trying to find worthy missions to be about. When there's been a mission all along, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Secondly, it'll be important to us as members of the gathering we call Anchor Baptist Church because it's our pastor's vision. I shared with you a minute ago about how that we have a pastor that stood and he apologized to us for not making, for not staying on mission. Man, this has been illustrated so beautifully. I talked to my dad about this again. I'm fixing to share my story with him. I'm going to hurry. Pastor didn't say that because he felt like he had to. He said it because he felt like it was true. I'm going to ask you this question. I don't want you to raise your hand. Just internally answer it. Who discipled you? How many of you have been discipled? How many of you have been discipled? Everything we just described and defined by Scripture, that's happened to you. Somebody's taken the Word of God and they've, they've poured into you. They've transferred life into you. That's the first question. Second question. Who are you discipling? Who am I discipling? Who am I pouring life into? It goes back to what was Jesus like? What did Jesus do? How did he spend his time? Understand that this transfer of information right here is not discipleship. It's not. Because we have to look at what discipleship looks like in action, and we do that by looking at Jesus' ministry. What was Jesus like? We know he was the Son of God, but he was also a man. What was Jesus like as a man? Shout out some words. Teacher. Compassionate, absolutely. Example. Example. Sincere. Was he loving? Was he caring? Was he friendly? So we look at Jesus' ministry and we see that he was an example. He was compassionate. He was loving. He was sharing. He was friendly. Uh, all these things you said. Now we have to ask, what did Jesus do? with his disciples, the people that he was transferring lifestyle. The Bible tells us that he had disciples, and then he called 12 of them in, and he named them apostles. Those are the ones that he really honed in on, those 120 people. What did he do with them? What did he do? What's that? He taught them. Did he walk with them? Did he what? He lived life with them. He ate with them. He, he drank with them. He, he, he slept in the same areas they were sleeping. He, he, you think Jesus told jokes? Oh, yeah. He's of humor. Yes, he told them jokes. Man. Somebody said he lived life with them. How did Jesus spend his time? So, wait, let's recap. He's a loving, caring, friendly, compassionate example who 
ate, slept, talked, lived life with his disciples. We don't know why. But for 30 years, Jesus didn't have a ministry. And at age 30, we down the hammer and began to serve the ministry. So for those three years, how did Jesus how much of his time did he spend doing this? A lot of all of it. Spent all of his time doing that. <coughs> Do you see just for a moment what our pastor has gotten hold of? That this can't be discipleship? Teaching a class is not discipleship? Why? Because it looks nothing like what Jesus did. It's not a transfer of lifestyle. It's just it's just a transfer of information. I mean, okay, we started at eleven o'clock. I'm about to go over, so the clock is really ticking with something off. So we've had an hour here today. Let's say you come twice a, twice a week. Let's say you all. Let's say, no, seriously, let's, seriously, let's say you all come twice a week. Pastor transferring his life to us. Hey guys, we all miss church. That was a joke. I'm an assistant pastor's wife. Well. <laughs> 104 hours is all the time that you have to get anything from this pulpit. That's it. Any mathematician want to tell me how many hours are in your life if you're 40 years old? Hmm. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> My phone's back there. <laughs> but hey, guys, it's a lot. It's a lot of time I've had. And our pastor has gotten a hold of, I can't transfer life from a pulpit. Number one, it's not how Jesus did it. Number two, there's too many of you for me to do it. Guys, discipleship what it looks like is it looks like us pouring our lives into other people, us being an example for other people, us demonstrating the life of Christ so that they can imitate us. Listen to this real quick. I told you I want to hurry on. But Paul's ministry is what we look at for what discipleship looks like in action. Listen, okay, he had children of the faith. Do you have any, I mean, a lot of you have kids. Paul associated that in the scripture associated to spiritual kids, people that you've won to Christ, they're your spiritual children. That's an example we get from Paul. And so Paul, listen to how he's talking to Timothy, one of his spiritual children. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, listen to these words, and I've highlighted them on the, in the wall for you. But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mother cherishes her own child. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own souls. Because you have become dear to us. Do you hear that love, that, 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 that compassion, that just, it's just dripping off his words. He cared for them as children, and so what did he do? Listen, it's very important we catch this. He said, I was pleased to impart to you not just the gospel, 
and also our own souls. The word there can also be translated as lives. Paul said, I'm not just giving you the gospel, I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving it to you, young Christian, so you can know what I know about God. Now, we were in a discipleship conference this past week, and, and Pastor Bobby Harold, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fort Worth, was, was, was teaching, and, and they asked him, he was in India, and uh, they planted a lot of churches, started a lot of churches. This was some time ago, and asked him, what is your greatest success? And he said, my greatest success is also my greatest failure. Because the answer is, we've seen, y'all help me over there, was it 100,000? He said, over the time God's had us in India, we've seen 100,000 souls come to Christ. So that was my greatest victory. But it was also my greatest defeat because I realized that I literally left 100,000 orphans in the streets of India <coughs> that know little to nothing about God. They know little to nothing about how to defend the God they love. They know little to nothing how to share about the God they have. That is not the Great Commission. That is not the mission that Jesus put us on. Guys, we have got to evangelize. We have got to share our faith. We have got to tell other people about Jesus. But let's say we all got crazy, and we all went out, and we won 200 people, and we brought them in here. What more would we have to tell them than see a church? Is there any transfer of lifestyle happening? Is there any process being poured? See, that, that is why our pastor apologized to us. Because he realized he's been doing church like my dad's been doing church, like my dad's dad's been doing church, like my dad's 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 been doing church. We've gotten off the mission of Jesus. We think that it's a gathering that we come to and it makes us feel better. And so that's why we come back. And that is not all what church is about. The church, the gathering, the ecclesia, the group that meets, bonded together by the common Christ of Jesus Christ, Bound together to see souls saved, souls baptized, souls taught about Jesus is because we are to be about the mission of our Savior. That's it. We're to follow Jesus' example. We're to follow him on mission. Here's my story. My story is uh, I grew up in church. My dad um, was a pastor. I was born on a Monday, and on Wednesday night I attended my first church. I didn't miss any church. And, well, I won't be proud, but... Okay, if I couldn't produce two bodily fluids, it took more than one. Two sick body fluids, you know what I mean? I didn't miss church. <laughs> there were back rooms for that. You're going to church. Um, I was in the day to church. Uh, I had so much church in my life. Um, by the time I was seven, I had made two confessions of faith. I followed two friends down the aisle to the altar. I knew about a loving God. I was the best high school student you'd ever want, except for maybe my wife. I could answer all the questions. I could memorize all the verses. I could, if you if you were new to teaching, chances are by the time I was seven or eight, I could help you teach your lesson if it was a Bible story out of the Old Testament. So I've heard my testimony before, and I really really struggled with this. I really struggled with this when God said, I want you to know this is what I want you to talk about someday. My testimony, for those of you who've heard it, and I've said it, is that at 22 at age Minnetonka, I gave my life to Christ. 
Let's go ahead and bookend that. Because that is true regardless of anything. So 22, I surrender my life to God. In retrospect, here's what I can't say about 100% certain. In this whole process of being a disciple myself and working on this myself, is that I've realized that there's a really good chance that I gave my life to Christ when I was 11, sitting in our living room talking to my mom in front of our fireplace. It's fading. So when I get, began to search this, it flooded back on me so real. I remember sitting there and hearing the message of hope about Jesus, and it just overwhelming my heart to say, I want that. I want that. Tell you what happened between 11 and 22? Again, it doesn't matter. If I got saved at 11, woo, I, guess I, I surrendered my life entirely and I got to save everything at 22. I know what I shouted about. If you shot me right now, I doubt I'd be in heaven. Praise you, Jesus. No questions. But guys, between the ages of 11 and 22, I struggled severely. I'd been, I'd been molested in church. A little bit before that. And so I really fought that. I fought anger. And I fought acceptance. And so I wanted to be accepted in church. So what do you do when you want to be accepted in church? You'd be a good church member. There was no discipleship going on in my life. And I say that church member perspective. As a child, my parents were doing that going. And parents, by the way, it is your fault. You're discipling them. But because I was angry that my parents had let that happen to me, I put walls up. And I wouldn't listen to what they had to say. He's, he's not, that's not the preacher that's telling me to read my Bible. That's my dad. And my dad let this happen to me. I don't care what he says to me about God's word. And I began to get callous and more callous. You know what? I didn't just want acceptance in the church. I wanted acceptance outside the church. So I got, I got until I got riddled with pornography at a young age. By the way, statistics say that now uh, kids not exposed to it, kids begin struggling with it at 11. I was about 13. And I, I mean, addicted. Somebody tell me how to read my Bible, and I think, I don't know how. I'll read it. And I would just read it. You know, give me a reading plan, and I would just read it. And guys, I'm not, please don't think that I'm telling you the power of God's Word isn't powerful, because it is. But it had just become a habit to me. And so I would read habitually. And, and then pray. Jeremy, you got to pray more. That's what you got to do. You got to pray more. And so I would get on my knees and I would feel like not a single prayer ever made it past the ceiling of the room I was in. But I didn't know how to pray any better. I didn't know, well, hey, the, the Lord's prayers. And I just said, teach me to pray. Our Father, Church, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I even got Catholic a little bit for a little in my life. And I just started reciting prayers. Guys, nobody taught me how to pray. Jesus wasn't teaching them specific words. You understand that? He was teaching them a process and a mindset of how we approach God in the Lord's prayer. And nobody, it's not that they weren't saying it. I wasn't. 
listening. Why? Because it was just a process and a transfer of information. Nobody was pouring their life into me. Well, you got to share. You got to share with others. Can I tell you that that's where I spent the rest of my time with Jesus? Not only myself, but helping others. Right here in this loop. To share. If you went to church like I did, that's all you ever heard. To share. We got to share the gospel. We got to share our faith. We got to share His great love for us. Can I ask a question that most of you adults are too embarrassed to ask? What if you don't know how? What if you don't know how to share the gospel? And I say that because I've been approached by, I wouldn't even know how many to tell you to approach me saying, I don't know how to share my faith. But, but just hang with me real quick and we'll be done. But I never got to what it was to connect to somebody. I, I certainly didn't know what it means to be equipped to minister. And I went to Bible college. Guys, this hasn't been, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm being, as a Lord Prayer would love to hear me say, I am being transparent with you, meaning I'm not lying when I tell you that it's been within the last 10 years of my life that I've seen significant growth of God, and really the last three have been amazing. I think. I think there's three types of people here this morning. I think, I think there's one type of person here that your story is that you came to a point where you knew you needed a Savior. And the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and you turned to repentance and faith to the one thing that you know can save you. And you know that because the Word of God says it, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death paid our penalty for sin. And then someone poured their life into you. They imitated Christ so that you could imitate them. As Paul said, not only the gospel, but also our own lives. And you've been discipled, and you understand, and you're committed to a God-given mission of making disciples that make disciples. That's your story this morning. That is awesome. But I think there might be a couple other people here this morning. Uh, the other one I think is that your story is you came to a point where you knew you needed to save you. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and you turned to repentance and faith to the only thing that could save you the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because his death paid our penalty for sin, but nobody poured their life into you. And whether you gave them opportunity or not, and instead of being committed to following Jesus, you struggle to feel connected to him at all. You're waiting for the next big church event. Or Bible study. Or hit song. To come out just so you can feel that connection again. You don't pour your spiritual life into others because you struggle to stay in the word yourself. And you only pray meals or in crisis time. And you feel empty. You aren't even sure what you pour out. And 
normal type person to be here this morning. That person is here waiting for your story to be written. You see, my story and the other stories I talked about this morning, there's the, there's a, the reason I have a story is because of Jesus. I can stand before you now and tell you who I am in Jesus. Because I realize that my life doesn't start until I have Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and you're waiting on your story to be written. You don't have one. Whether, whether it's been curiosity that got here, or, or maybe a friend invited you and you just love the friendships, or, or, or maybe the atmosphere that you found. Maybe you've been here a long time, and that's not who you are. Either way, maybe today the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you need to get saved. You need to never give your life over to Jesus. I'll tell you, if you're here this morning and that's your story, a lot of people here this morning that would love to take God's word and show you what it means to give your life to Christ. If you're one of the other two, if, if Andrew comes this morning to play our invitation, if you're one of the other two, your answer to what was Jesus like? Your answer to what he did? How did Jesus spend his time? There's one more blank on this table.
Brother Bartlett never lets me have a microphone because he says I talk too much, so <laughs> I'll try not to. I ruined that with Jeremy, so thank you, Jeremy. Um, actually, ladies, uh, we've been given the green light to pursue um, Beth Moore live simulcast. Um, she's doing that September the 15th, and if you don't know what that is, uh, she goes somewhere and she teaches, and they broadcast that around the world. So we want to do that here at our church. We're going to offer that September the 15th. Uh, because it is so late in the game, uh, we're going to try to pull a uh, planning committee together uh, Tuesday night at my house about 6.30. So if you want to uh, be a part of that, get with me before we leave here, and I'll tell you where I live. But like I said, it's just uh, to get a few things pulled together like snacks and food, you know, the important things. Um, so anyway, if you'd like to uh, help us out with that planning, uh, just see me, and it'll be Tuesday night at 6.30. Is that okay, Jeremy? <laughs> hey, to our visitors, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining with us today, and uh, we look forward to the next time you're here. Thank you.